Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. All right, this week on More to Come, well, we have the great pleasure uh, actually to talk with um, an entrepreneur, a writer, uh let me get started again. Hold on. Uh, Z Chung, co-founder, president, and publisher of TKO Studios, a new comics publisher on the scene. Uh, Z, thank you so much for being on More to Come. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I, I kind of hinted at your background a little bit, but, you know, a little more detail. I mean, you're an independent film and TV producer, writer. Uh, you've been involved in writing for some very prominent shows, ABC's Once Upon a Time, um, uh, what, Gotham, uh, which should appeal certainly to our primary yeah. audience for the podcast. But, um, why, you know, obviously we want to talk about your new venture, how it's structured and what you're trying to do. But, you know, before we get started, why don't you uh, uh, maybe tell our listeners a little bit more about your background? Yeah, sure. Um, so I grew up, all I wanted to do when I was in lower and middle school was uh, to write and draw comic books. And this was, you know, in the early 90s. And, um, you know, that was kind of all I ever wanted to do. You know, I went to the local comic book store every week, you know, two or three times a week. And that's kind of how I learned to tell stories was through sequential art. And you're, you grew up in the uh, Boston I, area? I think you, yeah, you I grew mentioned. up, I grew up in the Boston area. So mm-hmm. my, you know, my local comic book shops were New England comics and Quincy. I'm from the South shore. Mm-hmm. Um, worked very hard to lose my accent, obviously. <laughs> you, uh, yes. You, <laughs> you seem very un- New England dish. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it comes out sometimes. South shore sometimes comes out. Brain tree, you I know, won't ask um, you about sports uh, affiliations yeah. uh, because I don't, you know, maybe you're not a sports fan, so I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my local comic book stores were New England Comics, Newberry Comics, A Million Year Picnic, and, you know, I spent a lot of time there. Then in high school, I started getting into independent film, and mm-hmm. there was just a moment where I looked, I mean, honestly, I just remember thinking to myself, you get to pick one of these two really difficult things to do. And I, you know, and I, I picked independent film and I did that for a bunch of years. Then I moved into doing more studio screenwriting and TV mm-hmm. writing, but I, all, I, I never really lost my love of comic books. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, three or four years ago, um, I reconnected with, you know, an old friend and mentor, um, uh, Salvatore Simeone, who, you know, had, had always been kind of helpful as in terms of like, big picture guidance. He's always kind of believed in me in terms of the film and TV stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he comes from the, um, software world. Um, Mm -hmm. He's done a lot of startups in the past. He's launched many, many businesses and been very, very successful. And, um, this is your co-founder. Yeah. Right. This is my co-founder. That's Mm -hmm. right. So I always really liked him. I liked that he was a working class guy who was just really smart and kind of figured everything else himself, uh, everything out himself. And um, we kind of reconnected over this comic book thing because I wanted to get back into it. And I said, well, I think there's the opportunity here. You know, I started looking into, you know, to be honest, I first started wanting to do a comic book on my own. And then when I really looked at the business of comics and thinking about it deeply and thinking about this business that, you know, is the way that I have access to this art form that I love, I just started thinking, well, maybe there's the chance to do things differently. Maybe there's the way 
to create a new publishing company that can be, you know, really the first modern comic book publisher where we can kind of leverage our strengths. You know, mm-hmm. Sal is this, you know, incredible business mastermind who thinks outside of the box. Mm-hmm. And I can, you know, I know the comic book industry and I know the creative side of things really, really well. And um, at that point, I had gotten to a point in my career in the TV world. You know, I'd worked on Once Upon a Time. I was a producer on Gotham. And I said, okay, I think this is, everything is lining up in a way where I think we can hit this and we can hit it really hard, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, and you, boy, you, you sure have. Um, I mean, one of the things, obviously, I want to get into the titles and the artists that you're publishing. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, any startup would be well served to have the kind of creatives that you have 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 working on this um but 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 you've started to talking about how you wanted to rethink the publishing model so maybe talk a little bit about back because you guys are uh, are doing some things very differently in terms of how you offering um the material and how you're distributing material yeah and i think they kind of go hand in hand in Mm -hmm. that you know we were able to get the talent that we have um behind us because, you know, we were trying to do things differently in the way that we uh, distributed comics, the way that we worked with our creators. And so, yeah, I mean, our fundamental differences are, um, firstly, you know, we obviously, we launched in December and we launched with 24 single issues and four trades, meaning we Mm -hmm. had four full miniseries finished. So Mm -hmm. one of the bedrocks of the way that we're doing things differently is, we're binge releasing our books, you know, um, the second that you read the first issue, you can read through an entire series. And that was, came from a couple things. I mean, that was coming from just the feeling that, you know, it's modern times. People don't really want to wait a month for 22 uh, pages Mm -hmm. of a new book. Um, we figured that we were in the position where we could really, uh, cash flow these books and to be able to, back these books creatively and financially um, while they're being put together. And, you know, we wanted to show people that we had real staying power. And the other thing is, you know, I lived through the image revolution in the nineties and right. I remember waiting for those books and, you know, it was, it was, it was sad to watch that dream kind of um, dissipate during that time. Cause I was so excited about those books and, you know, um, we wanted to make sure that that, never happened to us and the fact that you know sometimes you'll buy one or two books from a publisher that you really enjoy but the publisher goes out of business or sure. they just mm-hmm. can't get the books out on time we want to show the, uh, the readership that we were here to stay and that you know we really believed in our books so that's the first part is the binge releasing the books and then we're offering the books in multiple formats so yes. you know um, we know that uh, a lot of people like to read their books in whatever format they most enjoy so um, they're available available as six issues in a box set. So, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're a diehard comic book collector or you're new to comics, but you still like that kind of collector mentality, you love those individual issues, it goes great on your shelf. So it's very mm-hmm. easy to, you know, you don't have to have a long box. You can put it, you know, directly on your bookshelf next to your other books. Uh, we're releasing an oversized, um, everything that we're doing is oversized, um, mm-hmm. but we're doing oversized trade paperbacks. Um, and then, you know, you can get the books digitally as well. Um, so, you know, we wanted to make sure that fans, um, had access to the books in whatever format they most enjoyed them in. And then first issues are always available for free. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, issues. 
I was impressed. Because <laughs> I was, yeah, um, well, for these interviews, I was able to really go, jump in there and really kind of get a feel for every book that you're releasing. So, um, and obviously that's a, a lure to consumers. Yeah, you know, we really, we, you know, we believe in our books and we felt that, you know, um, as a new company, we kind of have to show people what we're about. And it's, you know, there's too many barriers for entry. If you even spending three or four dollars for a first issue, you know, some people, you know, don't really want to do that. So just to give away the first issue for free digitally, you know, we hope that readers really respond to the books and they have so far, you know, and um, very often we'll we'll just, you know, if you read the first issue, you'll end up getting the whole series, you know, because you want to find out what happens. Yeah. And there's every other format now. So obviously it's available in digital and obviously in particular for, you know, PW's core market. I mean, the trade paperback is, is available. Yeah, so, that's you, right. you know, whatever you want, uh, whichever format you desire, you got it. Um, that's correct. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's, it, that's particularly interesting, um, I think, in a time where uh, I think you're seeing the consumer taste in comics and, and, you know, uh, the, the inroads that, uh, the trade, I think the trade paperback, the book collect, book collection, the graphic novel, you know, how much that has changed the landscape of publishing. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, what we wanted to do when we looked at the comic book market, and we can get into the diamonds, uh, aspect of it in a little bit, but, you know, we, there is the perception that the, comic book market has been shrinking or at least has been stagnant for a really long time and you know we want to reach new readers and mm -hmm. i think that the trade paperback i mean that was incredible in terms of you know that format is great for bringing in new readers and you know that was part of the reason why we wanted to do a box set is you know for people who are just interested in comics you know who don't know how to honestly just don't know where to store the comics you know having a having a box set where they can put it on their shelves is is really nice. And, um, you know, I, I, it's funny in the company, we have people who, you know, in the core group of the company, you know, there's, um, Salvatore Simeon who mm -hmm. really enjoys the trade paperback, um, format as well as the digital, mm -hmm. um, Cara McKenney, who does our, you know, creator outreach and relations. Mm -hmm. you know, she came to comics a little bit later. So she is more of, of somebody who may not have, may not collect individual issues, but loves reading a trade paperback because she can bring it wherever she goes, but she still likes print and just hard comic books. I, you know, for a lot of I Hey, see, hold on a second. You seem to be breaking up. Hardcover as well. You know, see, you, you seem to be breaking up. Oh, can you hear me now? Um, talk a little bit. Oh, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yeah. But you were breaking up a little bit. You know what? I'm going to tell our uh, – can you sort of restate that? And I'm going to sort of tell our producer to look out for this and um, – Yeah, sure. No problem. Just kind of restate um, that last phrase that you had because on my end, it kind of dropped out. Okay, yeah. Um, it was just about, you know, even within the company itself, um, within TKO Studios, you know, we look around the people who are – you know, the core members of the company and, you know, our CEO, and, um, he really enjoys reading stuff digitally. Um, and then Cara McKenney, who does our creator outreach, she's kind of new to comics. And so, um, you know, she started collecting them in her twenties. And so she's a trade paperback person mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm a diehard comic book collector. So <laughs> most of the time I'll, I'll, I'll buy the single issues. I'll buy the trade paperback. 
I'll probably buy the hardcover, and then when Comixology stuff goes on sale, I'll usually buy the digital as well. Yeah, I really love you, you want you literally want it in every form. <laughs> yeah, no, literally, I'll buy. I mean, I have I have Sweet Tooth in so many different formats. Yeah. Uh, well, look, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you some more questions about the business side, but let, let's get to sure. the meat and potatoes here. Uh, you've got really uh, for a new publisher some impressive artists. Uh, I mean, really well-known um, comics creators, b- b- whether writers or illustrators. Um, you reach across the range from traditional American uh, uh, American comics artists to Europeans. Uh, it's very impressive. Now, you've launched with four new titles. And I should mention, as another sign of, of, of a new age comics publisher, you essentially announced it, if I'm not mistaken, on, on Twitter. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, because I did see some uh, some Twitter posts. I mean, you had some uh, kind of cool video of you, like showing off the uh, the box sets and the like. I think I saw it in your Twitter feed or somebody's Twitter feed. Um, so, so let's talk about so the title. We, we announced via Twitter. Because, yeah, yeah. Go on, no, go on. Sure. Um, so in our oh, in our first wave, um, there's uh, Sarah by Garth Ennis, Steve Epting, and Elizabeth Brett Weiser. It's um, lettered by Rob Steen, and all of our titles uh, are edited by Sebastian Gurner, who is mm-hmm. our editor-in-chief. Um, Sarah is um, this uh, incredible story based on, um, inspired by true events. Um, it is mm-hmm. about Russian female snipers on the Eastern Front in World War II um, beating back the Nazi invaders. Yeah. And, um, you know, what I loved about this pitch when Garth brought it to us was, he said the um, the reason that Russian the Russian army liked using female snipers were was that they were more patient than the male snipers. Yeah. So they would wait, you know, uh, hours or even days just to get one shot. And that to me was such an interesting new view into a war story. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the fact that it's a female group of snipers. Sarah is a really interesting and nuanced character, and you know, I uh, pairing. Steve Epting um, and Elizabeth Brett Weiser and Garth. I mean, this is their first collaboration, and we were really proud um, to put it together. Um, the, I think, uh, the second I think title, you've also, you know, I think you've also hit on a kind of a, 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 an interesting uh, storytelling trend because I'm seeing um, more kind of stories focused on the role of women, Soviet women in World War II in comics. Interestingly enough, uh, so. Uh, you, you, you've got another, you, you're hitting another cultural text, a touchstone, I think, that's starting to emerge. Um, and then our second title, uh, or another one of our launch titles is The Fearsome Dr. Fong. Um, that is a book that I co-wrote with yes. my friend mm-hmm. Mike Weiss. Uh, Dan McDade, uh, did the art for that. Uh, Daniela Miwa, uh, did our colors. And it was lettered by Steve Wands, um, again, edited by Sebastian Gurner. And that is a kind of globe-trotting action-adventure. Hey. It was to look at the yep. – mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Oh, good, good. You dropped out again. I don't know whether it's your Wi-Fi or my Wi-Fi, but you're back. Okay. Just, okay, yeah, good. Just keep going. I'll, I'll tell uh, my producer to, to look out for these. In sure, fact, I'm, yeah. I'm marking down the time signatures. Go on. Great. So the fearsome Dr. Fong is a kind of tongue-in-cheek reimagining of the kind of Fu Manchu, yellow peril mm-hmm. bad guy from, you know, uh, the Sax Romer books. Sure. Uh, the fearsome Dr. Fong 
is basically a criminal mastermind, but it turns out that he is actually a good guy who had to go undercover and take on the guise of this yellow peril bad guy in order to infiltrate the criminal uh, underworld. It's this uh, globe-trotting action-adventure story. You know, we like to think of it as a uh, kind of like an updated, you know, 21st century take on what a pulp novel could be mm-hmm. um, with kind of modern politics. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just a really fun ride. We're really proud of the book. Um, that's gonna, one of two books. Yeah. I just want to jump in for a second because, um, I, you know, you, they uh, all the books that you've released so far and the books that seem to be coming out, you do seem to be focused not necessarily on the superhero genre. In fact, not at all, really. I mean, I, you know, this, I mean, I guess this one could loosely be called it because you have this dynamic hero, but really, as you said, the, 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 uh, you could describe it as a pulp adventure. Uh, but, but it's, that's very interesting too. I mean, you do seem to be, uh, obviously as a, a TV genre writer yourself, that seems to be the focus of, uh, your publishing program. That's correct. So we made a decision very early on that we were not going to publish any straight superhero books. Mm-hmm. Um, we love superhero books. You know, I grew up reading superhero books, you know, Batman year one. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll still crack it open once a week, sure. you know. But at the same time, there's just a lot of that out there. And we felt as a new publisher with a new voice, we wanted to steer away from anything that would be um, kind of superhero related. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, what we're looking for is, you know, when we started talking to our creators, our mandate, our mandate was to look for new takes on established genres, uh-huh. you know, something like action, adventure, horror, sci-fi. But at the same time, they needed to have a new way in, a new twist. So, you know, Sarah, um, it's a new take on a, a, a war story. You know, sure. it's not guys in the trenches. It's... Um, these female uh, snipers who are sitting in the trees and very specific relationships with each other and with the army itself. Um, Fearsome Dr. Fong, we wanted to do an action-adventure pulp story, but we wanted to almost invert the stereotypes, um, which is, you know, and this brings me to Goodnight Paradise, which is one of our um, launch titles uh, created by Joshua Dysart um, and Alberto Ponticelli, who had worked together before on Unknown Soldier. It's colored by Julia Brusco, um, lettered by uh, Steve Wands, and edited by Sebastian Gerner. And it's a murder mystery, but it's a murder mystery set in the homeless population of Venice, California, and downtown L.A. So the main character is a homeless man who is, um, you know, kind of sometimes an unreliable narrator. Um, he gets start, he starts getting drunk around noon. Um, <laughs> yeah. It has a real heart to it, and it is a very personal story for Josh. Um, but it's a you know it has genre bones to it, but at the same time, it was a way into a murder mystery that I had never seen before, and it has an emotion to it that I, I mean I think I may have told you this before, mm-hmm. um, but you know when you do a deal with a writer, you never really know what you're going to get until the scripts come in. And with Josh, you know, I knew the bare bones of the story. We had talked a lot about it, but when that first script came in, you know, I was on lunch break at Gotham and I I read the script and honestly, I started tearing up around page 18. There's one monologue that Eddie, the main character gives where I, I, I had never read a script that had affected me in that way. And and that happened every script that he sent. I was like, oh, well, I'm mm-hmm. getting this 
script number two, I better go into my office and pull the shades because I'm going to be falling in a little bit. Um, but it's just a testament to how long, you know, Josh had lived with the story yeah. and how long he and Alberto had, you know, lived with the story and wanted to tell it. You know, there's a, a, a real backbone of feeling in that story that, you know, we're, and we're really proud to have, you know, been the publisher for it. Um, and then the fourth story is a Western, you know, uh, it's the seven deadly sins. It, it was, um, say, uh, Western about mm-hmm. a group of death row criminals who are recruited by a Mexican priest to return a Comanche war chief's daughter to him and try to stop um, his war path. It's a Western, you know, and it has Western bones. It has, you know, guns and knives and blood soaking into the earth. But at the same <laughs> yes. time, <laughs> yes, it does. You know, we, <laughs> We wanted it to be a Western unlike one that you had seen before. And and the thing that was appealing to me when I was writing it was, um, you know, it, it takes place um, a couple years after the end of the Civil War. And it takes place in a Texas where um, a lot of the slaves had become mm-hmm. sharecroppers, sometimes on the same plantation that they had been slaves on. And it was just slavery in, you know, by any other name. Sure. And it was a place where, you know, the people who are supposedly the upstanding citizens were villains. And so in that world, I, I liked the idea of telling a story where the villains, the death row criminals, are actually the good guys um, because it's an inverted world. Um, that that book has, a, like you said, a very international creative team. Um, Artyom Trakhanov, uh, the artist is Russian. Uh, Julia Brusco, uh, the colorist. Mm. Uh, colorist who did Scalped and Django Unchained. Um, mm. She's in Spain. Um, she was in Spain. I think she's in London now. And the color, and then, the color is really uh, extraordinary. I mean, in, in all of your books, uh, but certainly in this one. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the, you know, when we started, and we could talk about the creators later on, but, you know, one of the, the vows, you know, the promises, the bedrock of this company was we started talking to these creators you know, they were used to getting some companies, you know, some smaller presses, they will, you know, we, we match Marvel and DC's rates across the board. Mm-hmm. And we very often will beat them. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, a lot can sometimes get those rates from other indie uh, presses, but, you know, we wanted to make sure that they knew that we were going to get them a great colorist. We were going to yeah. pay the colorist mm-hmm. enough, get them a great letterer, pay that letterer enough so it wasn't instead of taking one job they had to take three of them you know mm-hmm. and we that was part of our commitment you know when you look at the colorists that we have and the letterers that we have you know we have elizabeth brett weiser we mm-hmm. have jordy belair we have yeah. no julia brusco you know we have um people who you know it was really important to us that we we matched you know the best writers with the best artists best colorists best letterers across the board mm-hmm. that we didn't skimp on on any portion of it okay. and let, let me just to be clear um and we chatted about this a little bit before but uh you know it, it, it is it is a work for hire deal but you have enhanced the deal i mean there's there's a royalty deal as well uh that what most of the creative team will share in that's right so um basically when we started looking at the the business model of comics you mm-hmm. know there's um, there's obviously creator owned, um, mm. where you own everything, but at the same time, you know, 
I don't think it's fair to ask somebody to work for free for three to four months. And mm. if you're a writer, it's very hard. I mean, I personally would find it very hard to ask an artist to work for free sure. for three to six months while they're putting together the first couple issues of a book. And then you have the Marvel and DC, um, the big two, where you get paid a, a, a good page rate or a fine page rate, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, and you sometimes get a bit of a royalty on right. the back end. Yeah. But we wanted to try to do the best of both worlds, where you really do get a, a great page rate up front, mm-hmm. and you have some participation in the back end. And if um, if you don't have participation for whatever reason in the back end, that you know we will uh, remunerate you in a way that um, is you know better than you would get if you had both uh, a page rate and a back a back end. So, um, and part of that is just well, first of all. I think people do their best work when they're paid to do it. And they yeah, have I mean, yes, it, yes, that's a no-brainer. About, you know, <laughs> eating groceries, you know, finding groceries and, and sure. purchasing them. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, it, it's just a moral thing. You know, it's like there's an entire – there can't be an entire industry that people aren't paid what they're worth, you know, and that I, – I hate that that's the norm and, you know, we're trying to change that. Yeah. Um, well, uh, you, you're clearly doing something right because clearly uh, you're able to bring in really, um, uh, really acclaimed series of artists. Uh, and I should say, just for a second, I want to jump back to Seven Deadly Sins because I mean, all of the books are impressive. This one is very impressive as well. I mean, there is a sort of um, um, what a magnificent seven kind of quality to it. I mean, each of the uh, seven. Uh, um, individuals in the book that make up this band, they, uh, they are, they, you know, have their own, uh, dynamic character, uh, and their own dynamic representation and background. I mean, you certainly have created, you know, a very diverse rogues and roguette, <laughs> um, a, a gallery for this book. Yeah, you know, I think part of that came from, you know, I've seen a lot of westerns, you know, sure. and, um, <laughs> And it's the kind of thing where you kind of get numb to the idea that like, okay, well, there's, there's one idea of the West that you see over and over again. And maybe you see it in 200 episodes of Gunsmoke or you see it in the Magnificent Seven. Um, but then, you know, what was important to me was to create, you know, because there's a flashback structure in the Seven mm-hmm. Deadly Sins where you see a little bit of some of our characters' backstories and you see a lot of other people's backstories. Mm-hmm. And it was important to me to create a tapestry where if you think about all these kind of this rogues gallery and what they've all gone through, it kind of knits together into a tapestry of what is the alternate version of the West that we've never necessarily seen, you know, through mainstream portrayals of the West. And, you know, I also just like weirdos. You know, I, <laughs> I like, I like writing them. I like, I like when there's somebody who is, you know, doesn't care that, uh, they're going against the norm or that they are an outlaw or, you know, just doesn't give a, a F, you know? Um, <laughs> and, you know, that was part of the thing about, you know, I, I come from writing Gotham, you know, and Gotham, yeah, sure. if, if there was ever just a rogues gallery where it's like, we don't need to make anybody, uh, redeemable and the audience still loves them. Like, Penguin and Riddler are sociopaths yeah. in that mm-hmm. in that show, sure. and I love them more than anybody, you know. But yeah, I mean, you've got a you know a you know a pregnant slave, a former slave, a, 
who apparently like wiped out the you know uh, her slave owners. Uh, you've got yeah. uh, 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 you got a very silent uh, Chinese guy that sort of reveals himself mm-hmm. a little bit there. Uh, another uh, slave. I mean, it's uh, it, it is the the West is perhaps uh, we we haven't seen it quite before. And you know, I think that part of sorry, my alarm is. That's okay. Hear that, but yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I think again, you know, what we're really proud of in this company is, you know, there's a lot of obviously the big two have a mythology that goes back decades and decades and decades. And what we were really proud of with these first four books is, you know, we're we're working with original concepts and original characters, and it was really important to us that those characters shined through and that we were introducing them in a way where you really have an idea of who these people are. You know, it's not Mm -hmm. only a world that you're entering, but also that you're entering that world with characters that you really identify with, or even if you hate them, you know exactly who they are. So, you know, you look at something like Sarah and, um, you know, Sarah introduces, I think, six or seven members of the squad, seven deadly sins, that's seven characters. Mm-hmm. Um, fearsome Dr. Fong, there's, um, you know, our three main characters. And Eddie has this whole, uh, swath of characters that populate, you know, Venice mm-hmm. Beach and downtown LA. And, you know, in a world where I think a lot of stuff in media gets recycled or rebooted, you know, we were really proud to be able to introduce these characters and these worlds to our audiences. Okay. Now, I'm going to jump back to your business model a little bit here. Now, this sure. is, uh, uh, I, I'm cu- you know, we, we've talked about your strategy for, the, say, the direct market. Um, mm-hmm. But you're doing all the distribution. You're not going through Diamond. We're not going through Diamond. Um, we, you know, early on, you know, when we looked at Diamond and what they did, um, we looked at the ability to control, you know, things on our end, um, to not have a middleman. And also just, you know, I, I, I think there's the business side of things where, you know, we can ha- because of our infrastructure, we can easily handle fulfillment, you know, as good or better as Diamond. Um, but also, I, I just think conceptually, you know, I have seen small presses come out and fail. I've seen, um, you know, I think really good books, you know, really people who really love comics try to start stuff up. And, you know, I think that the diamond previews catalog makes it very difficult and de-incentivizes store owners to take a chance on Mm -hmm. smaller presses. And I honestly, you know, my, my co-founder and I couldn't really support something that was, you know, I I don't think was good for comics. So Mm. that was kind of the bottom line. And, you know, from a bigger picture standpoint, you know, diamond is what it is. I understand why people have to go through them, but we also just didn't believe that. I, I just don't think that any art form should have one method of distribution. You know, it doesn't, it just philosophically, I, I don't think it, it creates a healthy competition and I don't think it incentivizes um, distribution to get better or to um, make uh, the art form reach readers that it, it hasn't reached before. So, you know, for all those reasons, we just said, okay, we can do this ourselves. So that's what we're doing. Okay. So what kind um, of so, response have you gotten? Um, and I, we, we chatted about this a little bit before, but, but, but uh, the retailers are engaging you know, your, yeah. your, your line. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, it was pretty surprising. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think that any of us were really expecting it. Um, so as you said, you know, we, we, we launched on Twitter and that was just, again, we wanted to be the first modern comic book company and we wanted to announce in a way that we could really explain to people who we were because, you know, we were doing so many things differently that uh, the way that our editor actually put it was, you know, when we started looking at things, we were like, well, if we're going to do some things differently, let's just do everything differently. So, <laughs> you know, we wanted to be able to control the message. We wanted to be able to, you know, let people know who we were in a way where we knew that we were telling people the truth and that we weren't going to be filtered through the news necessarily. I mean, certainly we got picked up by the New York times and bleeding cool yeah, mm -hmm. and Hollywood reporter afterwards. But, you know, for that initial thing, you know, we were really happy to be able to reach people directly and that the fans engaged. And we always thought that it would take, you know, because the comic book industry is, you know, somewhat averse to change, you know, we thought it would take a little bit of time for comic book stores to come to us, but, you know, we were contacted by, and I mean, by all estimations, like 10%, you know, mm -hmm. a couple hundred, mm -hmm. uh, comic book, you know, local comic book stores, yeah. you know, within 48 hours of, um, dropping that thread on Twitter. So they were really responsive and, you know, um, you know, we'll do, we'll do deals with any, with, with all of them. You know, we have the ability to, to have them order from us and to do fulfillment. You know, we essentially our deal, um, for anybody who's listening is, sure. you know, we, we offer 50% off the cover price to any retailers. Um, that's local comic book stores or if you're a bookstore who wants to stock us, we make it super easy to order through an online order form. And for the U.S., we'll pay for shipping. Um, that's another big thing is, you know, uh, they don't have to, front those costs and um you know for international we just have to figure it out more on a case-by-case -case basis because mm -hmm. obviously those uh shipping rates uh, uh are drastically different so and well you did mention the book the book store market so i i do want to get a little bit uh ask a couple of questions about that really how how do you see yourself in relationship uh with the bookstore market i mean particularly as a, pub a publisher that's doing something different this is really I mean, the, 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 um, really what the bookstore market has done over the last 10 years really has really opened up comics in a new way to far more greater readers. I mean, I can understand why you would focus on the direct markets, but, but, uh, the, is the bookstore market in your plans? Uh, do you see it as part of your, uh, of where you should be heading? I mean, absolutely. You know, I mean, I think that there is a certain type of person who will buy comics from bookstores you know, every month and mm -hmm. never set foot in a comic book store, you know, I mean, the, honestly, I wish that I want to, I want us to be everywhere, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't know that, I mean, besides comic book stores and bookstores, uh, you know, who's, who's to say that we couldn't be in, you know, newsstands and grocery stores. I mean, I just, I think that the bookstores are a, a giant part of where we want to be, you know, mm -hmm. right now because of the, honestly, we launched less than a month ago and the response from the direct market has been so overwhelming. We've been just doing those deals right now, but you know, obviously we would love to be in, you know, your local bookstore. We would love to be in the strand. We would love to be in Barnes and Nobles. You know, hmm. those are places that, you know, when I was first getting back into comics after college, you know, um, those are the places that, that I would go, you know, every, every Barnes and Nobles I went into, I would stop off in the comic book section and see what was new. Okay. Look, I, we're, we're running out of time, but I, there's a couple more questions I want to ask you. Um, sure. particular, uh, and you're a new startup. You've got a new idea. 
Uh, and yet, you have managed to really attract some of really some really well known and really accomplished comics uh, creators. So. You know, <laughs> obviously you're paid good rates. It's always good that the, 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 you know, the, if you can deliver on, you know, on, uh, on, uh, on paying your, your artist. But I mean, how do you get Garth Ennis, uh, to jump on board? How do you get uh, Joshua Dyser to jump on a brand new venture? Yeah. I mean, listen, it's, um, the, con- the, the rates are one thing, you know, the page rates are one thing. The fact that we pay people on time, which, you know, by the way, should just be how it is, but it is not yeah. necessarily how it is in comics. Yeah. So, and I should, I should just also, say that you've been working on yeah. this for what a, a couple of years because you, you know, you started with four yeah, complete years. series. So you, this has been yeah. in the works for what you, what I think you told me two and a half years, about two and a half years, but the artists and writers really started just about, working on um, it before you announced yeah, the, like, the venture, like, like two years, two years, 18 months ago. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the thing is that, listen, nobody is in comics for the money, you know, (laughs) Um, you do it because you love the art form. And honestly, it's too hard to do um, if you don't love the art form. So when I was talking to the creators, um, the bottom line is this, you know, we have we have we, we make great deals with people. We give them good page rates, but that that's really not it. I mean, the the main thing is. Every single person in comics wants something new. You know, they want something to change. They want this art form to be, you know, the stories are popular, accessible stories as evidenced by the fact that you can make a movie out of these stories and they can make a billion dollars in the box office. So, you know, why shouldn't this art form reach that same audience and have that same accessibility? And so when I was talking to people, you know, I mean, part of it is they could obviously believe that they can understand that, I, you know, I am a comic book fan myself. I'm a writer yeah. myself. Like, this is an art form that, you know, like I said, this is how I learned to tell stories. This is something I, I, I truly and deeply love. And we wanted to do something new, you know, and we want to do something that would shake things up. And, you know, and we believe that we could. We believe that you know, if we keep on doing what we're doing, that, um, we can reach new readership. Um, we can reach the core comic fans, obviously, but, you know, we want this to be the first step in kind of like the new age of comics. Um, and well, I'm just curious, did you like, I mean, did, were these artists that you knew? Did you have connections? I mean, obviously you're, uh, obviously, uh, you know, uh, a, a um you know a, a veteran and accomplished right. writer yourself i mean did you tell you conventions i'll tell you the absolute tr- the absolute truth i don't it doesn't even matter to me if it makes me look good or bad but basically <laughs> i had this idea i you know sal and i started working on it together and we didn't know anybody <laughs> I mean, I knew, I knew one guy, I knew, uh, Pornsack Bichette showed, who was this oh, brilliant sure. yeah, editor. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I'd known him, we had, we had, we had a, sh- we had short films in the same, sh- uh, I was going to say the S word, but crappy film <laughs> festival in New York. That's okay. <laughs> 15 years ago, and I met him, and, and I remember seeing, he said that he worked at DC Comics. And yeah, I was yeah, like, he used to be an editor of Vertigo. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, this person works in comics. Like I had never met anyone who worked in comics. I was so excited. And I would see his name from time to time on like, you know, when he was editing at Vertigo and I was so starstruck, but 
but I always kept in touch with him and I still remember he, he brought me to DC one time when I was like 27, 28 and I was yeah. like wide eyed, you know, I was like, this is where they're, this is where they, this is where they make all the things. Yeah, this is where the magic happens. So, <laughs> so he ended up being a, he ended up moving out to LA and mm. we reconnected out here. And when I started getting into this, I was like, can I just talk to you for a, a couple hours? Can I take you out to lunch? Can I take you out to dinner? Mm. dinner? And he gave me all, he gave me so much information. He actually introduced me to Sebastian Gerner, oh, cool. um, who was mm-hmm. our editor, who's our editor in chief. So, mm-hmm. um, Pornsack did a lot for us. I mean, he's now, you know, he's got the successful comic book Infidel that he wrote that I cannot mm, yes. um, recommend more. Um, but it was really, um, you know, Sebastian, Sal, um, and Kara, who handled a lot of our creator outreach. Right. And that's your, and that's the staff of the company there, just for the letter. Sure that was the, knows. that was the beginning staff of the company mm-hmm. that started the company. And we have more people now, but it was honestly a lot of cold calls, a lot of walking up to people at conventions. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Sebastian had some, Sebastian had some contacts, obviously through his work at Image. Um, but you know, it was a lot of talking to people and it was a lot of listening. I mean, well, it was a lot of talking to people. I know I've talked a lot on this phone call, but I was also, you know, when <laughs> you I was starting out, I was, <laughs> I was doing a lot of listening because <laughs> I wanted to know what people wanted to do differently. You know, I wanted to know what the perfect comic book company would look like to creators, you know, and then we tried to craft, you know, both a, 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 a business engine, you know, and a creative engine that would allow for them to do their best work, you know, and I think that at the end of the day, like I keep going back to it, but you could have all the backing in the world, you know, and you, but if you don't have the, if you don't have a good creative engine and you don't help people do their best work by pairing them with the best possible collaborators, you know, uh, I, I, I'm sure that, you know, every creator working in comics would trade, you know, a page rate for just doing a book that, you know, that, when there are a hundred, they can point to and say, I'm, I'm really proud of this. And I'm so glad I had the chance to work with, you know, this artist or this colorist or this letterer, you know? Oh, I'm sure. Okay. So look, this, look, this has been great talking to you. I, but before we wind up, I really want you to talk a little bit about the next wave of books that are coming out from TKL studios, because really, sure. I mean, I mean, uh, you're, you, once again, you've got some pretty impressive cure, uh, uh, creators, uh, on tap, Roxanne Gay, I mean, Jeff Lamar. So tell us a little bit about, yeah. about the next four titles that are coming out. Sure. So the next wave of titles will come out probably, um, I think, spring or summer 2019. So um, we're thinking June, July. Um, we have a, a book called The Banks, which mm-hmm. is about um, three generations of master thieves. Um, uh, they're African-American female master thieves who are um, grandmother, uh, daughter, and granddaughter, who are operating out of Chicago and they pull off their greatest heist. And it's, um, you know, it's a heist story, but it's really about, um, this family, but it's also kind of about Chicago and, you know, uh, the history of Chicago. Cool. So that is a Roxane Gay, uh, wrote that book. Um, Ming Doyle, uh, did the, um, artwork and, um, we have Jordi Belair, um, doing the colors Ariana Maher is doing the um, the lettering for that one. Cool. Then then we have um, Sentient mm-hmm. by um, Jeff Lemire and Gabriel Walta. Um, that is the story of um, a colonial spacecraft um, in deep space, and there is an event that kills all the adults. 
And so it's up to the children to kind of fend for themselves. And it's also about the AI on the ship. Um, the AI is raising them. Hmm. And it's really like a, almost like a, you know, you see a lot of these Pinocchio robot stories where you see a, ro- a robot kid become kind of sentient and uh, learn to have emotions. And we wanted to tell a story where it was really about almost how this um, AI becomes a mother to these children. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, cool. it's uh, uh, Gabriel Walta is doing all the, the full art for it. So he's doing um, painted watercolors and gouache. It's, it's gorgeous book um steve wands is doing the letters and you know again on all of our wave two books um the editor is our editor-in-chief sebastian gurner we have um a thriller uh badass thriller um by natalie chaidez um called pound for pound um you know, it's a it's a thriller that takes place on the southern border. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about the opening scene, which is so awesome. Sure. Um, she's an MMA fighter. She's a female MMA fighter, mm-hmm. um, Danny, and Danny is prone to blackouts. Ah. So the opening scene is basically she wakes up and she's in the ring. She's already in a fight, <laughs> and she is like, "How the hell did I get here?" The wow. opponent is beating on her, and she just pulls out some strength and kicks his opponent's ass. Yeah. And that's when she remembers she was actually supposed to throw the fight um, and that the local gangsters told her, you throw this fight or we're going to kill your sister, who we, ha- who we have hostage. So it becomes this like bloody – she cuts this bloody streak through uh, the U.S.-Mexican border. Um, it's a really fun kind of um, balls-to-the-wall thriller story. Uh, it's written by Natalie Chaidez, who the colors are by Jordan Boyd. Um, and, uh, the, the letters are Sergey Lapointe, I think his name is pronounced. Um, the fourth title is, uh, called, um, Eve of Extinction. Um, and that is written by Salvatore and Steven Simeone. Um, they're actually, yeah. um, Salva- uh, Sal's sons. Oh, um, cool. They, uh, Sal has a, Sal's the same name as them. Um, oh, so, oh, so this Sal- is the son of the, co- the sons of the co-founder. Yes, that's right. And oh. Sal, um, Sal and Steven, um, the sons are, are two of my best friends. I've known them since I was 16. Um, and, uh, they ha- have this book called Eve of Extinction, which is a really cool concept, which is, um, a virus that turns only men into monsters. So it's up to this kind of ragtag group of women to, um, kind of, uh, uh, make their way to safety. Mm-hmm. So it's a survival horror story. Um, we have Nick, uh, Nicole Varela, um, doing the artwork uh ruth redmond is doing the colors and ariana maher is doing the letters for that as well i love it. men turning to monsters are uh, fiction or documentary <laughs> okay <laughs> uh look the uh, once again uh the, the next wave of titles uh really sound great um uh see look it's been great talking to you now am i pronouncing your name right i, I want to make sure yeah it's just like the last letter of the alphabet z it's okay a okay Okay. I really don't understand why, but that's just how that's okay. That's right. That's yeah. all right. I just want to say it right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, look, uh, see, this has really been great talking with you. Um, uh, uh, there's certainly buzz out there about TKO Studios. Uh, we talked about it on the podcast actually a week or two ago uh, when we first started hearing about it. So um, I beat everybody awesome. to the punch and got you on the podcast. So I have my little coup. Uh, but nice. look. We 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 can't wait to see the books. Uh, really great 
to talk to you. And look, thank you so much for being on More to Come. Thank you very much for having me. This has been really, really fun.